Today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, China brings sweatshop labor practices to Kentucky. Nelson County students and teachers walk out in protest at Thomas Nelson High School over a possibility of their school being merged with Nelson County High School. We'll go over what's going on there. Then for my podcast only listeners, a Lexington woman who tried to stab a man, run him over with her car, crashed into a house. Then when she decided to flee from the scene, she backed her car into a police cruiser, nearly hit several firefighters, ended up being shot by Lexington police because of the threat she was causing, then led police on a one and a half hour police chase ended up receiving only probation for her crimes due to a mental health break. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. And uh, to all of you watching on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, I know the last two episodes, we kept the entire episode on in video format. But for those of you watching on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and Rumble, head on over to the podcast-only format to go ahead and hear the entire episode. You want to hear that last segment. It's uh, infuriating and fascinating at the same time. Uh, you want to hear that segment about the uh, woman receiving only probation for trying to stab a man with a kitchen knife and a litany of other crimes. Well, you'll have to uh, uh, head on over and listen to this on the podcast format, which you can hear on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, iHeart, uh, Pandora, all other major podcasting platforms. Head on over there. Give it a listen there. You can take it with you on the go easily. And if you are listening on Apple or Spotify or any other podcasting platform, please make sure you leave a five-star review. I do the show every day. The least you could do is give me a five-star review because, well, if you enjoyed enough to listen to it uh, every day or even a few days a week, well, please at least leave it the five-star review and tell others about the show. Well, without further ado, let's dig into it. So maybe you like the newest iPhone. Maybe you like wearing a, a new set of Nikes, both products made through uh, scrupulous practices in Chinese factories, factories where children have been discovered to be working in. Yet despite this, we take some comfort in the fact that, well, while that is going on in China and while my shoes or my iPhone are cheaper because of it, at least I can feel positive about the fact that it's not happening here in the U.S. I mean, after all, a company would never use child labor here, right? Well, you'd be wrong. You see, Chinese company Winit, that's Win.it America, so Winit America, in Hebron, Kentucky, was recently fined for hiring an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. Now, you may think, well, these kids must have been just used to maybe clean the toilets or mop the floors, restock the snack machines, basic tasks that uh, no problem for really a kid to do. You could see hiring maybe an 11-year-old to help you out a few hours a week with similar tasks, but you'd be wrong. You'd be dead wrong. You see, uh, one of these children was actually caught operating a forklift for the company. Now, I don't know how an 11-year-old passes the test to operate a forklift. I have an 11-year-old, and I barely allow him to operate a manual saw without supervision, let alone a forklift. I don't even know how you get a forklift that fits an 11-year-old. Do you, do you tie some wooden blocks onto the pedals and, and give the kids some books to sit on so they can see over it? Or rather, do these types of labor practices run so rampant in other parts of the world that they actually make a forklift that a child could operate? You know, kind of like... Uh, 
like a big wheel, but a lot more dangerous and can lift 5,000 pounds. I never really thought I sheltered my child. As I said, I've got a son who's 11. I never thought I sheltered him, but I haven't given him the chance to take a spin on a forklift before. So now I'm beginning to rethink all of my choices when it has come to raising him. Have I been sheltering him? Am I coddling him too much by allowing him to go to school? And, and you know, he competes in golf and archery instead of making him get a job, instead of getting him forklift certified. Am I holding him back by coddling him too much? My questions remain, but I do know this next time my son complains, uh, um, about, you know, life or here or food or work or something else. I'll, I'll just, instead of saying that, Hey, you know, kids in Africa are starving, be more grateful. I could just say, look, kids in uh, Northern Kentucky are driving forklifts. So watch it, buddy. You're never too young to get a job operating heavy equipment, better behave before I start charging you rent. Now, what did win.it win it get for using 11 year olds to operate heavy equipment? Well, they got a $30,000 fine and told that they have to have a consultant come in and make sure they don't hire 11-year-olds or 13-year-olds for the next three years. In all honesty, this is a, a clear sign that the labor market in here in Kentucky is very, very tight. I mean, when you've got 11-year-olds operating forklifts, um, you know you've got some problems. Of course, though, this isn't the only company to have recently been hit in, K in Kentucky here with uh, similar type charges. We've seen McDonald's franchises getting hit for child labor violations and uh, a few other fast food places. This is actually becoming more common. At least I'm seeing it more. Uh, and, and there's a litany of companies doing this. Now, uh, to clear up the law here, kids under 14 are allowed to work agricultural jobs, and also kids of any age can actually work in a business that the parents own. Um, so, you know, if, if your parents own a business, you can work in that. Now, I don't know if China is, is the parents for these kids. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they were, if China owns them, but I would say most likely not though this does point to a problem Kentucky is having. I mean, clearly, if this factory uh, they hired these two kids, one's eleven, they're having them operate forklifts. Uh, you know, they're choosing between getting it done or not. And obviously, the way Chinese companies operate is generally a lot different um, across the board. But, but uh, I would say that they didn't choose this. They just don't have the staff. And that is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. I mean, that's why we're seeing it more. Uh, you know, we have people who are of working age, right? Remember, we have 55% workforce participation rate right now in Kentucky, the lowest in Kentucky's entire history. And that means that 45% of people who are of the proper working age um, who can get a job are not getting a job. And instead of spending all this money on economic expansion and paying off companies to come in here and giving them tax breaks and giving them hundreds of millions of our dollars to try to come here, maybe we need to be instead putting all of our time and resources to figuring out the labor problem. I mean, after all, if we figured out the labor problem, we got more people working and we had a plethora of employees, we wouldn't need to give away hundreds of millions of dollars or tax breaks in order to attract companies here into Kentucky. We'd be able to offer something they can't get elsewhere. Employees, or at least something that could be harder for them to get elsewhere. Employees. You know, in this world, uh, it, it, really, it really doesn't matter if we have all the employers in the world if we don't have the people to work them. 
And, and so until then, who knows, maybe Bashir and the legislature's desire to bring in companies and, and push them in here, give them money, try to give them carve outs. Maybe, maybe it leads to them trying to give carve outs on these labor things or try to get those laws changed as they run into the history of it. Of course, most likely not, though it would be funny to hear Bashir announcement that typical Bashir voice today. I'm excited to announce a new policy. Um, forklift operators can now be as young as 12 years old. Thank you all. I would, I'm, that'd be so funny to hear them have to say, but anyways, I mean, I, it would just be a shame if the welfare leeches though had to get a job. Instead, we've got these youngins out here. Uh, they're getting to work. They're paying in. They're providing more to the government than apparently 45% of adults who can work. I mean, the government needs their cut some way or another. I guess if they're getting it off the backs of 11 year olds, teach them early, teach them early uh, uh, to get taxed, teach them early to work. So that way, obviously they can continue to just fund that government while the government lets those who just don't want to work, not work. I mean, remember, we've got a two to one ratio of open jobs to people looking for jobs. There's plenty of work out there. And that's why things like Cameron's work requirement for, for uh, Medicaid, Cade, while Bashir may try to attack that and say it's mean and awful and healthcare is a human right, those of you who listen to the debate uh, podcast these last few days knows that he said that. While you may think, uh, while he may think that's the case, it's becoming quite clear that these people are being enabled to stay home, and that's becoming a big, big problem. So coming up after this, Thomas Nelson High School in Nelson County, that's near Bardstown, uh, or in Bards, Bardstown's in Nelson County, for those of you that need a, a city reference to don't know your counties as well. Uh, they had teachers and students walk out in protest this week. We'll go uh, over why after this short break. In 2011, Nelson County had 1,435 students enrolled in high school, and now they were at one high school. Nelson County High. Then, for some reason, a belief amongst the school board and county leadership uh, started started believing that Nelson County would be now experiencing such massive growth over the next several years that a new high school was needed to be built. So the county built Thomas Nelson High School. While Nelson County did experience a 8% growth in population during this time, doubling Kentucky's average population growth of 4%, enrollment in high school didn't follow nearly close to the same trend. During that time of 8% growth, high school enrollment across the county only grew by 20 students, or 1.4%. From 2011, they had 1,435 students, to now only 1,455 students, simply a 20 student growth. This coupled with a prior attempt at a merger that has led to lawsuits and a disappearing barrel tax has left Nelson County's five-member school board in a pretty difficult position. Now, as I said, they tried to do a mega school, community school merger. You've, you've been hearing about these, obviously, in Hopkinsville uh, uh, and, and Christian County there and a few counties across the state. And this was another district, another county that was looking to do a mega school. And this attempt 
to put together another mega school, merger school, uh, brought anger from the community so much so that uh, the original vote for the, basically getting the merger going and everything else was four to one. Well, th this upset the community so much that two of their board members that voted for this were replaced with anti-merger members in 2022. Now, the old board had already voted by that time to approve a plan and award the contracts. However, the deal was all but done despite the community pushback, but they hadn't actually voted to approve the funding of the merged schools. Well, then the elections happened. And as I said, two out of the four members who voted for the plan were voted out and replaced with two members who ran on and vowed to vote against the funding, vote against the merger. Well, the old board rushed in to try and vote through the funding, but a citizen sued the board and a restraining order was placed on them saying that the vote to uh, do this merger and fund it could not take place until the new board had taken over just uh, about a month or so later. Well, the new boards voted in and then they voted three to two to not fund the plan. Now, due to that, there has been some threatened such lawsuits from the community school advocates, the people that wanted the mega schools, uh, uh, and say, look, you have to do this. It must be built. There's even some talk of contractors who, of course, I was talking about were awarded the bids of suing as well. The other issue we have here is the barrel tax issue. You see, in Kentucky, historically, for quite some time, every single barrel of aging alcohol had to pay a tax uh, to the county that they resided in. So they had to pay a barrel tax to the county per barrel that they were aging of bourbon. That led to counties like Nelson, which remember has Bardstown in it. And many of you know that is now a big bourbon town. So they struck a lot of deals to attract in bourbon distillers, um, including breaks on property tax, a tax that typically funds public education in a county. Well, in this year's session, the 2023 session, the barrel tax was voted to be removed. So now Nelson County also has to be dealing with the fact that they don't have property tax coming in from these properties because they cut deals on them. And they're also now they cut those deals because they're saying, oh, look, we're going to be collecting this barrel tax. But now they won't be collecting that barrel tax anymore in the near future. And they're staring down the barrel of a gigantic funding problem for their schools. Well, and all throughout the county, but we're talking about the schools here, a giant funding problem for their schools. Now, it would seem that the current school board members have been put between a rock and a hard place because if they merge, uh, um, they think that if they merge the high schools, and so they, they take the two high schools and they merge them into one school, it could help solve a few issues. One, obviously having one facility versus two uh, would require less funding. They could save some money there, which could help with their funding issues into the future. And th there is a slight belief that perhaps it could deal with some of the lawsuit issues if they merge, or at least that's what I'm told. They're kind of thinking that, well, if we merge these two together, perhaps these lawsuits would go away. So they say, well, you agreed to merge schools. We won't merge high school and middle schools together like we were before, but we'll just merge the high schools. We'll make the lawsuits go away. Uh, and we could go ahead and move forward with that. Um, I don't quite understand exactly how that work unless of course, they're also planning on for some reason, enlarging or remodeling a school, which I, which as I said, is kind of odd because they only have 20 more students than they did when they had this same school prior to 2011. Maybe adding a few 
classrooms might be important, but I don't know about a huge remodel project, why that'd be necessary. You'd find yourself in the same position you were, uh, uh, you know, 12 or so years ago where you built this big old school thinking, oh, they're going to come. We need, we're going to grow. We need these people. And then you, you don't grow. And now you've got these facilities you have to take care of and well, you don't have the money for it. So the question is, which school to close? You'd think that, you know, they'd possibly look at closing the old school, Nelson County High School. That wasn't built like 12 years ago. However, it would appear that they're actually looking at closing the Thomas Nelson High School and sending those kids back to Nelson County High. Why? Well, it might have to do with the fact that the school also owns 100 acres behind Nelson County High School. So if I understand right and based upon what I'm told, so they're looking at closing their newest school built 10 years ago or so, sending kids back to the old school that then they're going to spend money on expanding and updating. And it, it just honestly looks like the school board really doesn't know what to do. I mean, they're saddled with lawsuits caused by an old board that completely ignored the people. And now you have a student and teacher protest going on at Thomas Nelson High School because they don't want that school to close. And the district is staring down the barrel once again of a funding gap. And of course, the whole reason for the school in the first place uh, that, that they have to look at closing was because, well, you know, we just have to have it. We had to put that school in place because we are definitely going to grow. Now, based on my research, both of the schools are right now below 50% capacity, if I'm not mistaken. So you don't even really need to expand the schools. If you're doubling up, just pick a school that can handle it, put them in there, sell off the old property, sell off the old building. You solved your funding gap, everything else. I understand they could be upset about the merger, but what are you going to do? But of course, that doesn't solve the lawsuit problems either, unless, of course, you pay off the contractors by giving them remodeling projects on the new schools. That could be something they end up doing. I don't know. I don't know what they end up doing, but what I can tell you is this, is that um, this is exactly what happens when you have government making a whole lot of dumb decisions. And, and it's exactly a, a perfect example of one, this whole community school concept we see going on that's stupid and this whole growth mindset. So, you know, you've, you've, and, and part of the reason why they're doing all these merged schools, of course, I think is because of the busing problems too, as well. But anyways, you've so many counties and cities that have adopted this growth mindset that we're definitely going to grow. We're definitely going to bring in people. We just need to build it and they will come. Well, in Nelson County's instance, and a lot of other instances around the state, you built it. They're not coming. Now what? Your entire plan relied on them to come. I mean, you can look at our state legislature and their tax plan. That is built upon an idea that if we build it, they will come. They believe that we will bring in millions of more people with this new tax plan because we'll just bring in all these employers and everything else. Well, if they don't come, what are you going to do? They didn't come. And now what? Oh, y'all, that's what we have time for for the video format. Those of you listening to the podcast-only format, stay with us. We're going to be covering uh, a story here after this about a Lexington woman receiving only probation after uh, a, a litany of crimes, being shot by a police officer, a whole lot of uh, issues here. We'll be covering that, but for those of you listening on the video format, head on over to the podcast-only version, iHeart, uh, 
Pandora, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, all other major podcasting platforms. Head on over there, whichever one you listen on, search for The Andrew Cooper Writer Show and give this episode a listen if you want to hear this last topic. To the rest of you, stay with us. We'll be back after this short break. Imagine you're a police officer and you're arriving at a scene. A scene where a woman has tried to stab a man with a kitchen knife and run him over with her car. And then in the process of trying to run him over, she has wrecked into a home. And you arrive, as does the fire department. And while there, the woman gets into her car, backs it up into your cruiser, then starts driving towards the firefighters and yourself. A woman that has already tried to run over one man today, she's coming at you coming at others. So you shoot her, you strike her, but she keeps driving. She actually keeps driving for an hour and a half, leading police on a chase through several counties. Now imagine you show up to work eight months later to find out that the woman who tried to stab a man, run over multiple people, a person that was a such a threat that you could have killed her in self-defense and it would have been justified. A woman that led you on an hour and a half police chase, and she wasn't going to jail. Instead, she was only going to receive probation, some community service, and a little bit of restitutions. How long would you remain a police officer when you found that out? How long would you continue to serve? You know, we don't have to wonder why we have an officer shortage in Lexington, which is creating, of course, a community safety problem. We see why. If someone can attempt to run over first responders and not see a jail, uh, a day in prison, what's the point? What are you doing out there? Why put your life on the line if somebody can do something like that and nothing happened to them? Well, the woman, in this case, getting off with no jail, is a Lexington resident named Lucille White. And this occurred here in Lexington, Kentucky. And the reason for her only receiving probation? Well, enter Bashir appointee Kimberly Henson Baird. First, you'd expect attempted murder to be one of the charges that she would have been tried with in court, you know, when she tried to stab a man and run him over and then run over several more. However, due to either incompetence or malice, and, well, I think it's malice, Kimberly was unable to get the grand jury to indict on the attempted murder charge. You see, White was originally charged with arrest and arrested and charged with attempted murder, wanton endangerment, criminal mischief, and evading police. However, the grand jury just decided to not indict her with attempted murder. An incredulous finding considering a police officer could have legally shot and killed her for attempting to murder first responders with her car. Because remember, he shot her, was justified in doing so. That means that if that bullet had killed her, he would have also been justified in doing so. And so you wonder, is the prosec prosecutor here just completely horrible at her job or does she rather just not really try very hard? Well, one would say she simply didn't care enough to try and get the charge. That, I would argue would be the correct statement. Why? Well, how? why can you come to that conclusion? Well, here this week, during the sentencing, the defense brought up a litany of character witnesses, all claiming 
that Lucille did what she did because of a mental health break that this woman would have never normally done this. She's just struggling with mental health and PTSD. And for this reason, she deserves leniency. She deserves to not go to jail. The prosecutor's office as an argument back about this violent offender offered up no testimony, no victim statements, no officers were asked to testify or firefighters about the ordeal during sentencing. The prosecutor's office just sat there silently. Why? Because they don't care. They could have argued that, well, even if it was mental health issues, she certainly then shouldn't be on the street. She should be, one, it was a choice of hers to not be undergoing treatment and be aware of it. If, if a person can shoot you or attempt to stab you and then simply claim, well, it was because of mental health and then be let back off onto the street, you're not serving anybody. You're not serving the victims who aren't seeing justice. And you're not serving the person who apparently has this mental health issue. But this is also a problem that occurs when people believe, believe that mental health is a good excuse for everything. Well, I'm just, they are having a mental health break. So they needed leniency. Oh, it was a mental health break. If you remember, there's an attempted assassination of now Mayor Greenberg in Louisville. And what was their defense? Well, he had a mental health break. This is a mental health problem. It's not that they're a criminal. It's not that they're a violent person. It's not that they did something illegal and should be punished for it the way any of us should be. No, it is simply that they had mental health issues. Now. The prosecutor's office, even if they wanted to buy into that argument, could have argued that, well, mental health issues, um, she should have been undergoing treatment if it was so bad. Remember, her mental health issues are apparently so bad that she tried to run over first responders and then lead police on an hour and a half car chase. I, I mean, why weren't you undergoing treatment? I mean, what's... She, she shouldn't be out on the street. I mean, if this was a mental health issue, clearly she deserves to be in a facility somewhere receiving treatment kept locked up until she can be safe enough to society. And then that still doesn't negate the crime. You would hope we live in a country and world where if you try to run over firefighters, you go to jail. If you try to run over police officers, you go to jail. If you attempt to stab a man and run him over with your car and wreck into a house, you go to jail, but we don't, you know, we don't have to wonder why our streets are not safe anymore. We know why we don't have to question why big cities are dangerous. We don't have to question why rural counties are dangerous because when someone can commit these kinds of crimes and walk away without spending a day in jail because of it, well, not only does that send a message to everyone else that they're free to carry on and do whatever they'd like, it also sends a clear message to our police, firefighters, and other first responders. You want to try and fight for a safe community where you could be killed or injured in the process. And then when somebody does try to kill or injure you, the justice system just doesn't care. Like I said, we don't have to wonder why we have a shortage. We see why. It's because justice no longer gets served. It gets pushed to the side. If you have the right buzzwords... If you're the right person, you get treated one way. And if you're a different person, with different buzzwords, maybe not as compelling of a life story, you get treated another way. It's quite clear, at least in Lexington, 
that the law is no longer blind. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining us. We'll see you back here uh, Monday at 1 o'clock. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then.